to the Progressive Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Lindman. On a balmy minus two or three degrees in Chicago, Fahrenheit, uh, a good day to stay indoors and uh, write and do media work and discuss the major issues of the day. Rick, this is my first New Year's program. Uh, last Thursday was New Year's Day, so I didn't have any. Uh, for other reasons, I didn't have any uh, uh, earlier in the week, but I'm delighted to have you on, and it certainly is very timely with some of the things going on, including the uh, so-called terror attacks in Paris yesterday. I couldn't resist writing about them. I'm very eager to hear your take. My first reaction when I heard about what happened was it's either blowback or a false flag, and I kind of yielded to the false flag notion, and I wrote an article on that theme this morning, but I'm very eager to hear your comments on it. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, first of all, New Year's greetings to you and to your listeners, uh, though it, it appears to be another um, uh, year much like uh, the preceding ones, as the Latin said, uh, Anus Horribilis, uh, another year of horrors, um, and it's begun in, in just that fashion, and you're correct about the two options. I can't see that there's, you know, any third uh, present uh, uh, other option in regard to the recent events in Paris, though, you know, I was reminded this morning of a statement by the late George Kennan, who was the architect of the U.S. Cold War's um, policy of containment and rollback, uh, who towards the end of his life was a bit penitent. If no man is an atheist on his deathbed, uh, certainly people are a little more skeptical, perhaps, on their deathbeds, and, and he was. And he remarked right towards the end of his comparatively long life that, uh, quoting a line that he attributes to Goethe's poetic drama Faust, he said, in the end, we are all destroyed by monsters of our own creation. And, and I think that's another possibility we want to look at, that you know, what is considered to be blowback oftentimes is, is simply a U.S. operation getting out of hand, or perhaps not getting out of hand, as you indicate, uh, but being a employed for some other purpose. And, you know, anyone with the a knowledge of uh, some of the uh, you know, major novelists of the eight, uh, late 18, beginning of the 19th century, something of Joseph Conrad and Dostoevsky particularly. You know, there are books like The Secret Agent by Conrad or The Possessed by Dostoevsky that uh, show that a lot of um, you know, terrorists are nothing other than police operatives. And this is not a new game. Oh, it's not a new yeah. game at all, and it certainly isn't uh, is something that is. Uh, it just goes on in America, or France, or Britain. It can go on anywhere at all. Uh, usually, these things are strategically timed, Rick. I'm wondering what's going to happen in the aftermath of uh, the killings yesterday. Of course, in Paris, uh, one of the Parisian suburbs, a policewoman was shot, uh, supposedly related to a traffic incident. But the reports I read said that the shooter wore a bulletproof vest. Well, I don't think people drive around in cars with bulletproof vest, and if they don't like a cop who may do to stop them for any reason, pull out a gun and shoot them. If somebody has a bulletproof vest on, uh, maybe maybe it was a setup, another incident like Tuesdays, like Wednesdays, except this time it involved one policewoman. What's going to happen next, Rick? I wonder whether there's a, whether there's a scenario to unfold in America with terrorist attacks along the same along the same lines, blamed on people, but really nefarious forces behind them pulling off this this. Kind Kind of stuff for the agenda that they want to pursue. Yeah, we have to put things in perspective, too, because uh, we've been given, as we, you know, we don't have to belabor the point, we've been given a very constricted view of international politics and, you know, what passes as a news media in, in the West as a whole, you know, certainly here in the United States. And one of them is uh, branding uh, people who are not terrorists, terrorists, and people who are terrorists, freedom fighters and such like. And, you know, we've seen any number of, uh, in the first instance, we now see a, uh, it's in the second calendar year, and it's probably something like 300-day-old war in Ukraine, which is uh, identified by the um, 
the government of Petro Poroshenko and his back, backers in the U.S. and NATO is an anti-terrorist oper- operation. That's the formal title for it. So that, you know, shelling residential areas, killing patriots, killing women and children, uh, expelling up to a million people from their homes, uh, displacing them is, is an anti-terrorist operation. And similarly, particularly since 9-11 in the U.S. in 2001, um, indigenous, generally left of center political groups, I'm thinking of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia in that country, the Popular Front and the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Palestine, the Kurdistan Workers' Party in Turkey, the People's uh, the New People's Army in the Philippines, and so forth, have been branded terrorist. And the you know, U.S. is collaborating with the respective client regimes to exterminate them and their supporters, whereas uh, the U.S. still officially, to the best of my knowledge, U.S. and NATO identify two of the three groups they're fighting in Afghanistan, Taliban being the third, but the others being the um, Haganee Network and the um, Hezbi Islami Gulbuddin, which are the fighting forces respectively of Jalaluddin Haganee and Gulbuddin Hekmadyar, who are two of the major recipients of uh, you know, the CIA's ever, ever, largest ever covert operation. You know, and uh, these people are freedom fighters then. They're terrorists now. They can be freedom fighters again tomorrow, depending on how the U.S. wants to use them. Oh, indeed, and they can be terrorists and freedom fighters at the same time, Rick, in different theaters. So America can be fighting al-Qaeda terrorists in Afghanistan and supporting al-Qaeda allies in Libya or in Syria or someplace else. And this is the same dirty game that goes on. And you can call them al-Qaeda, Taliban, uh, Nusra Front, give them any name that you want. But, uh, you know, you, you, uh, at the Islamic, uh, Islamic State, of course, the latest name, uh, nothing gets uh, said about the fact that these people are enlisted by America, other Western countries, supported by regional ones like Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Turkey, uh, armed, fun, trained, trained, used against America's enemies. None of this gets uh, put explained in that scenario. And then you have an event that takes place in a Western country, whether it's America or Britain or France. In my article, I went back and I reviewed some older ones that happened, the Madrid bombings in 2004, I think it was. I, it's easy to forget the dates. Uh, the London 7-7 uh, underground bombings uh, disrupting the transit network uh, and, and causing all kinds of grief. And this went on. I mean, none of this, n- n- none of this really uh, pointed fingers at le- as legitimate terrorist attacks. And it, it really, all of the evidence seemed to me to point to government-sponsored state terrorism, irresponsibly blamed on Muslims for political advantage. Why else would I think that what happened Wednesday might not be the exact same thing? I don't know who these two guys are, Rick, but there was a report this morning that the third suspect who turned himself into police has a legitimate alibi. Now, how about that? So apparently he won't be, he won't be arrested, he won't be indicted, has a legitimate alibi. About these other two guys, well, we'll have to find out what happens to them. No, but I mean, the beginning words of your article of yesterday, you know, is, is warning people to be wary and to be, you know, in a healthy sense of the word, skeptical. Uh, we have been told such tall tales and such outrageous, uh, not only distortions, but inversions of the truth uh, that, uh, you know, to automatically buy into anything without, uh, you know, the most painstaking, um, you know, investigation and, and analysis of it is, is foolhardy at best and maybe criminal. Uh, so we, you know, we are not to take anything at face value, uh, you know, even after 
after the fact. Uh, but I think, you know, it's necessary to situate events of this sort within the context of the U.S. and its Western allies uh, supporting um, terrorism and extremism for at least the past 30 years fairly, uh, you know, uh, openly, uh, going back to maybe the late 1970s in uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and then, uh, you know, eventually building a global network out of that. So, you know, any, any analysis of the events in Paris yesterday that does not take that background into consideration is, you know, ipso facto an invalid one. Oh, very definitely. And of course, you go back to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, but you could go to Central America and the and the and the Contra death squads against uh, the government in Nicaragua, the extremists supported in the, in the El Salvador. I mean, this stuff can happen anywhere. You've got insurgencies going on uh, against uh, against China. You've got the Chechen situation uh, attacking uh, Russia. Uh, I, I guess you could go to country after country, Rick, and see this kind of stuff that America supports in league with. Britain and France and the other rogue NATO partners, and this stuff goes on and on. So when this stuff happens, when, when, America, when America supports groups that support U.S. interests, they're called freedom fighters. And when, and when groups oppose American imperialists, they're called terrorists, whether it's a group, whether it's an individual. And again, I don't know who these two individuals who've been fingered in Paris, I don't know who they are, I don't know what they stand for, but there'll be more information to come out, and uh, dare I suggest that the they may end up being innocent patsies, just the way the brothers in Boston were fingered as innocent patsies who had nothing whatsoever to do with the Boston bombings a year ago, April, the Boston Marathon bombings a year ago, April. The police shot one of the brothers to death, and the second one, I believe his trial just began. Yeah, we should also keep in mind that you know there's uh, the time-honored, if uh, you know, highly dishonorable uh, police practice of entrapment. Uh, you know, recruiting somebody unbeknownst to themselves to be doing you know per perform acts of provocation that the perpetrators believe uh, is something else. You know, by its nature, we also have to recollect that the Russian government warned um, you know the American government about the Charneyev brothers, at least one of them, and that uh, their uncle is somebody who um, you know lived in the house of Graham Fuller, who was a top CIA operative for the war in Afghanistan against uh, the Soviet-supported regime. So that you, you have this whole, um, you know, undercurrent of uh, U.S. intelligence connections into the bargain. Uh, plus, you know, people are recruited sometimes, you know, uh, willy-nilly, but sometimes against their will. They're blackmailed or they're part of, as you say, a false flag operation where they believe they're fighting for some ideal, uh, when in fact, you know, they're simply serving the purpose of the state by having been, you know, a part of a police operation. That's one thing. Number two, you know, the idea that uh, freedom fighters are those who are serving U.S. interests and terrorists are those who are not. You know, even that is not uh, the complete picture because uh, more often than not, those branded terrorists by the United States are, for example, in eastern Ukraine currently, you know, by no stretch of the imagination are guilty of what um, the average sensible person would consider to be terrorist operation. They don't target civilians. They don't, you know, bomb civilian sites. They don't, you know, and so forth. They're engaged strictly in a military operation. They're branded terrorist. U.S.-backed uh, forces in Syria beheading people murdering Muslim clerics, incidentally, who are not considered, uh, you know, extreme enough, uh, wiping out entire ethnic communities, including, uh, you know, uh, Assyrians and Kurds and others in the country. Uh, these are, you know, they're beyond, uh, you know, it's not so much the fact that they're, you know, violent extremists to serve U.S. purpose. They are, they are terrorists, or the word terrorist has no meaning. Well, very definitely, and I think the extremist fighters that America recruits and trains 
some of the atrocities, maybe all of the atrocities they're committing, Rick, are ones that CIA operatives and U.S. Special Forces and maybe these types of other countries that are involved in their training, they're teaching them how to commit these kinds of things. So when you hear about beheadings and the rest of it, these people, I mean, these people do not come out of a communities in the in the nations where they where they where they where they live, uh, transit to Syria or some other location, and automatically begin doing these kinds of things. They need to be armed. They need to be trained. They need to be taught to do these kind of things and explain to them that this is the way you win or whatever. And then they commit these kinds of things, and uh, and and they only get blamed if they do it against the wrong people. But if they do it against the, the targets that America and other Western countries want eliminated. You get you get no reports about this whatsoever, but this is the stuff that goes on. It's a pretty horrible situation, Rick, with no end. I'm wondering if, in the wake of what happened yesterday, there'll be a, ter- a so-called terrorist attack in America, and we'll have the same scenario playing out here. Maybe a mini 9/11 or something. Maybe another 9/11. Who knows? I mean, it's it's. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's almost too horrible to contemplate. Uh, you know, do what what is possible, and uh, you know, uh, and these a combination. Again, there's you know no uh, monocausal or single factor uh, analysis, but I think you know we're hitting on the major ones. Uh, it's entirely possible too that uh, you know when I quoted George Cannon about uh, being in the end being destroyed by monsters of our creation. Uh, you know, Goethe's contemporary Mary Shelley knew something about that, and when she wrote the novel Frankenstein, and I think you know uh, oftentimes perhaps. Uh, a terrorist operation of some sort is set in motion by uh, Western intelligence agencies, and then you know gets out of hand. Uh, you know, decides to take matters in their own hand, uh, turns on their master. Who knows? You know what happens under these circumstances? So you know there are a number of possibilities like this. None of which, however, would be uh, prospects would be possible uh, if there weren't this sort of uh, you know filthy. Uh, you know, uh, uh, special forces directed terrorist operation. And let's go back. You know, they're chopping heads off now in Syria. They were chopping ears off in Laos, uh, you know, 50 years ago when uh, the CIA and other U.S. special forces, Green Berets, you know, we're uh, training, uh, uh, you know, pretty brutal uh, uh, tribesmen uh, to go out and cut off the ears of uh, suspected Pathet Lao, um, you know, sympathizers and so forth and bring them back as bounty. I mean, the equivalent of scalping. And uh, so, you know, this kind of violent uh, stuff directed by intelligence agencies is, has been going on for a while. It's been turned into a fine art, I fear. Uh, but you're correct that, you know, if, uh, you know, in Libya currently, where U.S. supported extremist elements are carving each other up and destroying the country, which is frighteningly predictable. I mean, said that you know d- during the war four years ago almost four years ago that uh, but the, the fact that the at no point uh, uh, is the United States or the West as a whole uh, held accountable for any of these actions David Peterson who lives in the Chicago area the you know the researcher and writer uh, today sent out an article where the United Nations issued a special condemnation of the attacks in Paris uh, but David mentioned you know when has the United Nations ever issued a comparable condemnation of US uh, uh, military forces slaughtering civilians in any country? The answer is never. Uh, so, we, you know, not to justify one by, uh, you know, comparing it to the other, but, uh, you know, that uh, the mass murder of innocent civilians should be condemned in whatever form it exists, and not simply when it suits convenience of the United States. 
Well, that's exactly right. Whether we're talking about uh, blaming Muslims for terrorist attacks, Rick, or black uh, kids being shot on city streets you know, across America, uh, I was appalled at uh, the, the the mourning for two police officers in New York, a great tragedy to have them shot to death. Uh, separate funerals for officers Lou and Ramos, uh, indeed a great tragedy. But uh, in an article I wrote, I said, well, who mourns for the black people, the black, mostly black uh, male youth who are killed? Uh, maybe one every 28 hours, call it one a day. Who mourns for them? Very few of them ever make headlines. We know about an Eric Gardner, a Gardner. We know about some others. Maybe some people remember Sean Bell in New York. But who remembers the nameless faces? So many, I mean hundreds, thousands over the years that were gunned down by police. Uh, nothing whatsoever happened. I mean, literally gunned down. They didn't deserve to be. They didn't threaten cops, but they were killed. But uh, but this goes down in the annals of self-defense. But if somebody responds in self-defense, heaven forbid, against a policeman, it's called terrorism. And then all these other incidents that take place. And we'll be hearing about the things that went on in Paris, Rick, for days to come. And uh, in France, the flags are at half-staff. Uh, French President Hollande went on national television last night in mourning uh, for, for the for, for the for, for the victims of the attack, and indeed it's a great tragedy for them and, and the families of the people involved. But who tells the truth about what's really going on and who the real terrorists are? The ones that are rampaging around the world, waging wars on humanity, not just killing one or two or a dozen, but killing millions and immiserating millions more. Who says a word about any of those things? Nobody at all. And that's the real crime that's being committed, the one that needs to be exposed and denounced and stopped. But of course, nothing is being done to do it. No, you're correct. And also, uh, you know, without knowing the first thing about or very much about the, uh, you know, the uh, the agency or the um, um, uh, American named, doesn't it sound Charlie? And this is certainly not a French uh, name. Uh, it seems to be nodding in the direction of their uh, cultural and ideological uh, betters in the United States with the name that, uh, you know, the newspaper, the publication had. Um, the, the fact that one can be highly irreverent, uh, even scandalous or blasphemous and so forth, and still be protect under the uh, you know the the banner of protection of uh, the western states whereas what makes me suspect that if uh, 12 members of a newspaper that was critical of the french government had been killed uh the, the flags would not be at half, the tricolor would not be at half mast in paris and that it would be considered regrettable but not really a you know an affair of state the way it has now so you you know it also kind of tips you off about how even the allegedly independent journalism uh, either um, you know serves the interest of the of the state or in some way may be connected with it. Uh, freedom of press is, you know, fine and good, uh, you know, in the abstract, but it's amazing uh, what is considered to be justifiable and what is considered not to be. Let's remember the RTS bombing in Yugoslavia in 1999, uh, the Serbian radio and television station where 17 people were killed mm -hmm. and NATO bombed the station in, uh, you know, nighttime and, and with the express intent of destroying the station and killing the people there, uh, for which, I mean, there was no condemnation by the United Nations or anybody else. That's considered fair game, I guess. And the U.S. justification was that um, the station was broadcasting pro-government propaganda. You know, at which point somebody remarked that uh, it was documented at the very same time that the Pentagon had people serving in... Um, uh, I want to say uh, Ted, Turner, uh, Ted Turner's uh, TV station is... Um, 
um, interns. And that, you know, with equal justification, somebody could have bombed that, uh, claiming it was putting out uh, Pentagon propaganda and so forth. But, you know, not to advocate either, of course. But that uh, uh, freedom of the press and the sacrosanct right of journalists to conduct their business and so forth is just an, uh, simply another issue around which uh, Western hypocrisy and duplicity is, uh, you know, flagrantly obvious. Oh, indeed, Rick, and during the uh, 1999 rape of Yugoslavia, it's about the best way to describe it, the Chinese embassy, uh, I guess in Belgrade, was it, was bombed? Yes. I think I guess in Belgrade. I mean, deliberately targeted. Uh, you, you you don't bomb a well-known uh, facility or structure unless you know what you're doing. And I guess they had smart bombs that could hit targets accurately in 1999, Rick. And they certainly have them now. And if you bomb a target and say, "Oh, we made a mistake," well, baloney, you made a mistake. They ta- they target whatever they want to target, whether it's an individual, a facility, or whatever. And they do this all the time. But again, you get one-sided reports in the major media. And the operative word this morning, Rick. As I mentioned in the article I wrote, was quote unquote terrorism. Well, I don't know if it was terrorism or what it was. I don't know who these people were or who may have put them up to it. Who's, who were their paymasters, if any? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I suspect the worst, and we, we may find out more. We probably will find out more later. No, I, well, I mean, we hope we uh, we do, but it's, if so, it's only because of the valiant efforts of investigative journalists like yourself. It's certainly not anything we're going to see in the mainstream media, uh, you know, which uh, serves its master, uh, uh, you know, quite faithfully and, uh, you know, would be cut off if it didn't. Um, so, you know, what we're going to see is, as you mentioned, there's going to be irrational hysteria and fear build up. That's, I think, the, the ultimate objective, as you indicate. And, uh, you know, maybe some finger pointing and selective targeting and, and whatnot, but, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, there could be an international protocol on terrorism. Uh, It could, you know, through the auspices of the United Nations, as tainted as that is, as I've indicated in previous comments today, you know, by U.S. and general Western domination of that body. But, you know, there could be an international protocol on terrorism, which, amongst other things, clearly defines what it is. And, uh, you know, under no circumstances are certain behaviors like chopping people's heads off or exterminating entire ethnic communities and so forth to be considered, uh, you know, a valid political expression, as the State Department oftentimes, uh, you know, indicates it is, and that, you know, the world could collectively operate, including religious leaders around the world would be part of, uh, you know, task forces that, you know, looked at uh, both um, addressing the, co- you know, the breeding grounds, if you will, of terrorism, uh, but also to, you know, expose some of the networks that have developed with the active assistance of the United States and its allies over the years. You mentioned Saudi Arabia, Pakistan is another. Uh, those are, in fact, the three countries, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Pakistan, had set up the entire Mujahideen operation in the late 1970s in northwestern Pakistan, from which, arguably, the, you know, what the U.S. now brands as international Islamic terrorist terrorism uh, sprang. And, uh, you know, training camps where people from around the world were integrated into a global network. So, you know, in a very real sense, Operation Cyclone, that's the name of the CIA operation I alluded to earlier, um, you know, is the genesis of this very global terrorist, uh, you know, phenomenon the U.S. now claims to be combating. And uh, the big Nubizhinsky was up to his ears in all of this going on, as you know, Rick, when he was National Security Advisor for Jimmy Carter. And some years later, I think it was, he was interviewed and asked about this. Uh, You literally created something uh, to go after the Soviet Union. And look at the monster that uh, came as a result of it. And uh, I don't recall his exact comments, but something Uh, to the effect that it was a small price to pay. Yeah, I mean, I I can tell you where he said, what are a few stirred-up Muslims compared to the uh, you know disintegration of the Soviet Union and the, <laughs> the liberation of Eastern Europe. 
liberation of Eastern Europe, indeed, indeed, Rick. We, we certainly would have a different take on that. But uh, and where this goes, who knows? I mean, we could literally see some some horrific things happening. They can come back and bite the person, come bite, come back and bite the country or countries who were were involved in this. Uh, I, I suspect there was something else involved in what happened yesterday. But there could be uh, there could be real blowback that comes back and, and hurts people. Who knows what will happen in the wake of all of this? But certainly, it's been nothing has been good in the post 9/11 era, including it, it, during the 1980s and in, in the post 9/11 era. And I can't see anything ahead that promises to be better. I I, I feel things will get worse, not better. Yeah, I fear you're right. And, you know, just as the U.S. oftentimes, and, you know, complete contravention of the uh, Geneva Conventions on War, and this is, you know, state terrorism at its, at its worst, you know, will subject a country, Yugoslavia, uh, 1999, Libya, uh, four years ago and so forth, uh, four years ago and so forth, to a concentrated aerial bombardment uh, to destroy the infrastructure, destroy the economy, uh, to use your correct word, immiserate the population and so forth, precisely to have them so angry at the government for bringing this on them, that they rise up and hold their government responsible. You know, oddly enough, this is almost like Stockholm Syndrome, right? You know, uh, that, you know, you identify with the oppressor and you, you know, you blame your own government for, you know, having brought on this attack by the United States. But let's apply that here. You know, at what point the American people stand up and say, look, I'm tired of living under a cloud of absolute fear and intimidation and terror all the time because my government has gone around the world creating terrorist networks that may in some manner come back and hit us. You know, at what point do the American people wake up and, and hold the real culprits, culprits responsible for this? Well, this is on my mind all the time, Rick. I've said it on air. I've written it in articles. And the indifference of the U.S. public, I mean, hooked on bread and circuses, interested in nonsense, while their wealthiers are going down the drain, and their tax dollars are used to wage one war after another, and their social benefits are being eliminated one after another. When will people get angry enough to decide they're not going to take it anymore? Well, the history of the world shows that sooner or later, if you push people far enough, revolution result, but I don't see anything like that close to happening in America. And I wonder when, Rick, American people have taken an awful lot. They may have it better than many other people around the world, but they've endured plenty in the last decade, over the last decade. And how much more will they take before they simply say no more and realize that it doesn't matter whether Republicans or Democrats are running things. It's the same dirty system, and it's destroying their lives and welfare. And their kids and their grandkids literally will have nothing to look forward to if something isn't done to change this. You know how right you are, and your question about how much longer the American people put up with this is, is arguably the burning question of the of the time, and not only for the U.S. but for the world, because you know what we as the American people uh, ultimately do is going to determine the complexion of the world, not just our own nation. Obviously, given the unique role as the world's sole military superpower, to use Obama's terms to describe his nation, uh, you know, uh, uh, has in the world. But you know, I was thinking on the on the way to work today. I'm somebody who's now 62. I could early retire if I could afford to live on you know with social security pays me. But I'm going to be the first generation of Americans since the Depression at any rate uh, that is going to retire with no pension, with no uh, you know, uh, health care insurance that uh, you know, I, I derive from my workplace and so forth. In other words, you're talking about now tens of millions of people roughly my age and younger who are going to retire with no health care except Medicare, with increasingly doctors, clinics, and hospitals refusing to take straight Medicare without supplemental insurance. You're talking about people who cannot live on $1,100, $1, $1,300 a month. That's rent in Chicago. Um, and uh, we've seen the horrible stories about uh, you know, the senior citizen in Greece jumping out of the third or fourth story 
apartment buildings commit suicide because they don't want to be a burden on their family and they can no longer continue living. You know, you magnify that by millions or tens of millions, and that's the situation we're going to be confronting in the next decade in the United States. Let's have no, uh, you know, doubts about that. And, uh, you know, sleights of hand or ruses like 401 or 403k programs, where at any moment, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, and the stock market can, uh, you know, the U.S. can manipulate the stock market to wipe out people's lifetime savings in a, in a blink of an eye, as we saw in 2008. So what you're talking about is not only, uh, you know, a crisis internationally and, uh, you know, that blowback, as you say, or I, I prefer actually, uh, uh, you know, Martin, uh, uh, suffering the consequences of foreign policy, whether conscious or otherwise. But, you know, the fact that uh, people are not going to be able to live. Pure and simple. They're not going to afford medical care. They're not going to be able to eat. They're not going to be able to pay their rent. And this is going to be the entire baby boomer generation. Here it is. Oh, I agree with you 100%, Rick. I mean, when I began working, uh, uh, it was an entirely different situation than today. Uh, you had good benefits. You, you, you had good pay from the companies you worked for. I certainly did. A good benefits. And all of this has been eroding over the years. And the plan uh, uh, is to uh, uh, either privatize, probably privatize first, and then get rid of Medicare and Social Security so that young people growing up today literally will have nothing. They'll have their own resources if they can possibly put any away. And if they can't, they'll be stuck on their own. Medicaid is being chopped. It's being cut. People are getting less. Doctor, doctor reimbursements are being severely cut in many areas, and doctors simply will not work for nothing. So what will people do when they get sick and they need care and they can't afford it? die? Is that what they'll do? It's a deplorable situation in the richest country in the world, Rick, which is what I always like to emphasize. The richest country in the world is strip mining benefits away from their people so they can wage more wars, so they can dominate the world and immiserate not just the millions of harmed so far, but literally maybe everybody on planet Earth. No, I mean, no, I can't add anything to that except you're absolutely correct. And I think, you know, for people listening to the show who are maybe younger than us or as anyone you know, outside the country in Canada or elsewhere who have no idea what's what's really going on here. I mean, this is why, I, I, you know, I think we're in agreement about the severe nature of the, the crisis that is current and is, you know, is going to be even more, uh, even worse in the, in the imminent future. But we also have to look at the fact, I mean, in fact, doctors do not accept straight Medicare. I mean, I, I know them. I, I work with doctors who just say straight on unless somebody has supplemental. I don't know what a supplemental. It's a Blue Cross or Aetna or, or Cigna or some other supplemental policy. Uh, my mother spends $4,800 a year on supplemental insurance. Oh, it's expensive, Rick. I mean, you know, that's about a third of, of my father's Social Security money. So, you know, this is simply to be seen by a doctor. And this is after having worked. You know, in my case, I've been paying in the Social Security fund since 1968. Well, that's, I was a few uh, years ahead of you. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, 46 years, and if I were to retire today, I wouldn't make enough money to pay my rent. And oh, I, I agree with you, absolutely. And, I was on Medicare from day one when it was instituted. Harry and Bess Truman were the first two enrollees. Uh, I don't know what number I was, but I was on Medicare from day one once it began, and I paid into a system that guaranteed me health care when I retired. <laughs> the government, with, with, with insurance policy, that you, which is what it is, and you cash it in when you retire. Well, that free insurance, I have to pay the government a premium every month, and I need to pay Blue Cross a premium for the backup I need because of the health care the government does not give me, including drug benefits, which I didn't want to get involved with because it's a ripoff, and I have to pay for my own drugs. And at my advanced age, 80, uh, this past year, I found out what it's like to run into medical bills.
bills that if you didn't have Medicare or good insurance coverage, what it would cost. I mean, I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars. You spend a day in the hospital and you can get a bill for $3,000 and you add on the lab costs and the doctor visits and the other costs. They can charge you $10 for a Band-Aid, a piece of gauze. I mean, the expenses are absolutely outrageous. If you don't have the proper coverage, you're not going to get this treatment. So what are you going to do? Are you going to die? Are you going to suffer? This is the state of America today. And I've written about this stuff, Rick. I didn't understand it as well until I experienced it myself and saw the bills roll in. And it just made my eyes glaze over to think, if I didn't have Medicare coverage with backup, even though I have to pay plenty to have them, what on earth would I have done? You and I probably would not be speaking to each other right now. No, I mean that's absolutely the truth. And we have to recall that in the last you know decade or two decades, uh, the entire. Um Human welfare infrastructure has been eroded, as you indicate, and we're not just talking about plan, you know programs going back to the New Deal in the 1930s, though they have been essentially gutted. Uh, but we're talking about ones that go back centuries. You know, in times past, in Britain, for example, even in the United States, you know, if one was destitute, uh, you were taken up, as they said, by the parish, that is the local church. You know, which would provide some kind of housing and food and then health care and so forth. That's been, uh, you know, eliminated, of course, has been privatized. And uh, then, you know, in Chicago, as you know, Stephen, up until maybe 15, 20 years ago, including immediately in my neighborhood, we had local Board of Health uh, clinics where somebody could walk in. It was, you know, associated with Cook County Hospital, now John Stroger Hospital, which was a charity hospital. Uh, you know, many of the most prominent people in Chicago were born in Cook County Hospital. Uh, Even a simple benefit in Chicago, Rick, like seniors getting free transportation on the CTA, well, that's by the boards, too. I think we're not talking about a lot of money on that. Uh, Now now the free transportation, you have to pay a dollar. I think uh, the regular fee may be $1.75, and there are no transfers. So if you get off one bus or a train and get on a bus, you pay a second time. But it used to be free for seniors, no longer. So the benefits are being lost, Rick. The one benefit Chicago has that's a god and uh, and it would be terrible for people if if it if if it disappeared and that's the paramedic service that at least in my neighborhood Rick I, I imagine in yours as well you can call if you have a serious problem you can call 911 and say you're in trouble and paramedics will come and get you and take you to the hospital I've availed myself of that service a couple of times and I must say it's a marvelous service Rick uh, for me uh, at my front door within 10 minutes of so the time I called to the hospital within another 10 minutes. I didn't have an emergency. They required absolute speed. But it was wonderful to know that these people were there if I needed them. And I guess if I needed them today, if I needed them today, they would be here. Will they be here a year from today is what's on my yeah. mind. Yeah, that's Chicago Fire Department. And, yeah. you know, the paramedics and the emergency medical technicians are, are really the civilian heroes. I mean, these are people doing uh, in, in the civilian uh, sphere saving lives, you know, what unfortunately the military is doing and taking lives abroad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I agree. That's one of the, you know, the, the, the most indispensable things. I mean, uh, my father, you know, died of a coronary and the, uh, you know, paramedics are there with him minutes and did everything possible to save them. Um, but, you know, uh, let me just uh, wrap up, if I could, on the story. I took the train to work today. You're talking about the CTA train. And we stopped for about 15 minutes. They turned off all the power because, and I'll, I'll describe it the way it was announced overhead, because of unauthorized personnel on the tracks. Uh, everyone in that train and myself, you know, made eye contact. We all read that the same way, that somebody had committed suicide. 
Wow. And and I think, you know, this is to go back to, you know, what we're, we're talking, and this happens periodically, that, you know, whether or not that's the case. But I think, you know, the first assumption is somebody is, was driven to the final, you know, point of desperation and, and uh, did that. Uh, you know, much as we read about people in Southern Europe, uh, you know, uh, committing suicide because of the uh, economic devastation wreaked by the European Union and their austerity programs. But, you know, just to prepare people. I mean, this is the alternative if we don't change the system very quickly. It's a deplorable situation we're living through today, Rick. And again, I say I can't see anything happening ahead that will make it better. We went, we, we went, we went on longer than I think uh, you had time to give me. Uh, we can wrap it up, and I look forward to getting you back next month. Always important things to talk about, Rick. It's marvelous having you on. You've got such insight into, in, into the major issues that listeners need to tune into and listen to. And I thank you, Rick, every time you come on. It was a wonderful program. Yeah, the honor is entirely mine, and thank you, Stephen. I look forward to coming back. Thanks, Rick. Bye-bye.